You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 969 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday into Monday. And today's podcast is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, wide below prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Today's podcast is going to focus almost entirely on Sunday afternoon's game between the Hawks and the Hornets up in Charlotte, a 105-101 win for Atlanta. A pretty wild game. If you missed any of this one, I recommend actually watching it, but we'll obviously break it down here on the podcast. Lots of back and forth. Hawks led by as many as 17 points in the first half and then trailed by as many as 10 in the fourth quarter, but came back to win, made a bunch of big plays down the stretch, and a pretty gutty effort from a very, very shorthanded team uh, on the road in Charlotte. So we'll dive in as we always do here, but a very nice win for Atlanta to claim sole possession of the fourth spot in the East at the time of this recording. So uh, the Hawks... This is their seventh game in 11 days, so a pretty grueling schedule for everybody across the league, but particularly for the Hawks right now, and especially when you remember that was after an eight-game road trip. So it's been a gauntlet for Atlanta recently, and as a result of that, maybe a little bit of a wear and tear stuff injury-wise. Uh, coming into the day on Sunday, both Trey Young and Danilo Gallinari were listed as questionable in this spot. Neither ended up playing. They were both actually game-time decisions per Nate McMillan, so this was a, was a little bit of drama there coming into the game itself. They were, they were kind of ruled out about an hour before tip-off. Trey with a calf contusion, and Gallinari with a with right foot soreness. So that did not help the Hawks, obviously, in this game, but anytime you get a win without Trey Young, uh, that speaks for itself. And then you throw everything else on top of that, it's even more impressive. And Tony Snell, who left the game on Friday, as we discussed on the last podcast, had a right ankle sprain that he suffered there. Um, and MRI on Saturday confirmed that he has a ankle sprain and a bone bruise, so he's going to actually miss this entire trip. It's only two games, today's game, and then Tuesday in Tampa. And then they're going to reevaluate him when they get back to Atlanta. But at the same time, that's another guy out. Plus, the four guys who've been out for a while now, Collins, Hunter, Chris Dunn, Cam Reddish. So the Hawks were without seven players out of their 17 in this game, that left only 10 players available. And even if it's your best 10, only having 10 is not ideal. And this is not their best 10. Um, charitably, you would say coming into the season, uh, I would say their bottom four guys on the pecking order, you could certainly quibble with Solomon Hill potentially or, or Kongwu in this mix, but definitely four of the bottom five or six guys on the roster were four of the 10 available in this game. And that was both the two way guys, Fernando and Goodwin. Uh, BG was great in this game, which, which we'll come back to later on, but this is not exactly their top 10 guys available either. And their top their top three wing defenders, all out of the lineup with Hunter, Reddish, and Snell. You know, Collins, Collins and Gallinari are their two best power forwards. All kinds of roster issues in this game. Ended up starting Goodwin, uh, which I thought was the right decision. McMillan has talked regularly about like, liking to keep guys in their roles. And I know that Goodwin's not as good as Lou Williams, but Lou likes to be in that same position. It worked out very well in this game, pressing the right buttons there with Goodwin starting. So that was why that happened there. Um, I will say the Hornets also not short, uh, also kind of shorthanded in this game too. Not quite as much as the Hawks, obviously. Uh, I, you could argue that they're missing their two best players. I'm not sure you would say that, but Hayward is their best player. Gordon Hayward missed this game, and then Lamelo Ball has been awesome this year. He's out as well right now. So they were shorthanded too, which led to the Hawks were actually favored in this game until Trey and Gallo were ruled out. Our friends at BetOnline.ag made the Hawks three-point favorites overnight, and then once Trey and Gallo were out, it swung to the Hornets being two-and-a-half-point home favorites. So it wasn't like the Hawks were huge underdogs in this game. People were surprised when I said pregame on Twitter that the Hawks could win this game, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did. 
And it's just because, you know, honestly, you could argue that the Hawks had the better top four or five guys on the court in this game in terms of just even coming into the game, like overall spectrum, uh, just best players available. Capella is the best player on either team available today. Uh, Bogdanovich, I would say, I'd rather have interior Rogier, for instance. So you could argue the Hawks have the two best players. Then you throw in like Herter and Lou Williams, and they had some reasonable talent. The problem was the second unit, and we saw that in this game when the Hawks gave up the lead. It was because the second unit, which is really kind of the third unit for the Hawks <laughs> right now, uh, was not very good in the spot. But it didn't kill them at the end of the day, and the starters were able to make plays down the stretch. So, all that said, Hawks small underdogs in this game. And we'll dive through it as we always do. But uh, needless to say, before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, lots of back and forth, lots of excitement, and lots of highlights, uh, including uh, a dunk that made lots of ways from Miles Bridges that we'll get back to in this in this spot. If you're a national person, I have a feeling that would be the play that you remember from this game, which is unfortunate because the Hawks played very well, and Capella especially, who tried to block the dunk and was dunked on, was awesome. In this game, I can't stress that enough. Uh, Capella was tremendous in this spot. But anyway, we'll have much, much more. We'll have all of the back and forth of the game, as we always do on the podcast. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is Indeed. Imagine you're the hiring expert for your company. What you really need is to make your shortlist of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who makes your life easier, and you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three, post-screening interview, all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications and schedule and complete your video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, which gives you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately, and Indeed Skills Test that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests or add your own, then add your must-have requirements so that you only have to pay for your applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all of the other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is spectacular, and if anything, it's more delicious than ever. Built Bar has a ton of amazing flavors that we've been talking about for quite some time on the podcast. That includes options with or without nuts. And it also features some of my personal favorites like lemon almond cheesecake and cookies and cream. Each and every bar is covered in 100% chocolate and they're also soft and easy to chew, making the entire experience all that much better. And Built Bar is also great if you're trying to be health conscious. You can maintain or even lose weight while enjoying something that tastes absolutely incredible. Built Bar is also low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great for the keto diet. My personal favorite, as I said a number of times, is cookies and cream. And the profile there from the health perspective is awesome. 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of net carbs. It is a fantastic time to check out BuiltBar.com. Yes, that's BuiltBar.com. And if you go there right now, you have 15% off with the promo code LOCKED15. If you use that promo code, once again, it's LOCKED15. That's 15% off on your next order with BuiltBar.com. Check it all out. There's plenty to check out at BuiltBar.com, and I recommend all the flavors. You can find it all at BuiltBar.com, and you can try Built Bar today. One more time, promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. As I alluded to before the break, uh, definitely a back-and-forth game, and the Hawks threw quite a punch coming out of the locker room to start this game. They scored their first six points. It was 19-5 to pretty quickly. The Hornets missed 10 of their first 11 shots. They scored three points in the first five and a half minutes or so. 
And the shot quality was awesome for the Hawks. In fact, they missed some good looks in this range, too. It wasn't like they were out of their minds. They just got a lot of stops and played very, very well at the outset. Kevin Herter had a nice start. Brandon Goodwin had a nice start with five points. Bogdanovich got going with back-to-back threes, put the Hawks up by 14 at 19-5. to They uh, rotationally went to Lou Williams as the first sub. He came in with Herter, actually, sort of in the way that uh, that they have been doing with Trey at, at times. And they kind of staggered. Uh, they kind of used Herter as the bridge guy in the first half with the first and second unit, brought him back later on. But it was a nine-man group that we'll talk about more later on, but I want to at least make that note at the top here. Eventually, the Hawks led 24-7 to after a three by Solomon Hill. Um, at that point, the Hawks obviously up 17, but Charlotte was 2 of 13 with two turnovers. The Hawks were 9 of 14 with five threes. So they were hot on some level. Goodwin was awesome. He, he actually made his first three shots. He, was, he had seven points. Um, Charlotte was playing a zone that had no chance, honestly, at the outset of this game. The Hawks did kind of, uh, I, I guess, take the counterpunch immediately as the Hornets finally found their footing. They played Knight and, Knight and Kongwu together on the second unit, and then after a few, few possessions, they went back to Skylar Mays. Basically, a second unit of the four guys off the bench plus Herder did not work particularly well, but it wasn't so bad right away. It was more the second quarter. Um, at the end of the first quarter, they were down. They were actually up by 13 after leading by as many as 17. Obviously, they shot 59 percent from the floor and six of 10 from three. Uh, Goodman had nine in the first quarter. Herder had five assists and was really, really passing the ball at a high level in the first quarter. He cooled off as this game went along for sure, but early he was very good. And the Hornets did find their offense late, but some pretty ugly numbers from them. Um, the second quarter was a problem area, especially early on. And I kind of alluded to this before the game started even, but the real concern for me in this game, even coming in, was not the starters. It was the second unit, because the second unit, as I kind of referenced earlier, is kind of the third unit right now. It's basically, they're playing Skylar Mays as a backup wing, basically, because they don't have wings. You know, Coming into this game, the Hawks essentially only had two of their regular wings, and that's Bogdanovich and Herter. Solomon Hill has played the three a lot this season at times, but in this game, he's the starting and best power forward, so you can't really play three too much in this spot. And Mays is definitely more of a combo guard, but he's kind of been asked to play the wing in this game, and he hadn't played a lot for a while. So that's one concern. Then you throw in the fact that they're trying to play Nathan Knight with a Kong Wu and have him play. He was he struggled mightily in this game. So you're playing these four guys off the bench, and yes, Lou Williams is a bona fide you know, standout off the bench. The Kong Wu's been fine recently, but not a great second unit. It's more of a unit that you would not want to see on the court in a game that matters too much, but they had to use it because that's where they were. Um, there was... You know, there were sort of bright spots at times, but there was a 9-1 run by Charlotte to cut the lead down to 5. That was their first kind of real push in this game. The Hawks scored one point in the first 4:07 of the second quarter, with, and that was mostly that second unit group that was just not scoring because Lou was not playing great in this game for the most part until the fourth quarter. Um, there was a little bit of climb out from there by Atlanta, um, getting, getting up to 10 at one point. Capella actually had an awesome pass to Bogdanovich for a three, his third of the day. He had his fourth moments later. Uh, he was hot throughout this contest, basically. But the Hawks led 50-40. to 40. They led by seven at the half, which isn't, like, ideal after leading by 17, but still on the road with this roster going up into halftime, up seven. That's what you want, obviously. It was more of a defensive half for sure. Not a lot of uh, offense on either side of the floor. And a lot of good rebounding, not a lot of fouling, just kind of a, a pretty grinding kind of first half. Capella was tremendous. He had 10 and 12, a double-double at the at the halftime break, and easily the most important player on the floor, honestly. Even, even with Badanovich pretty hot in the first half, I would say Capella was definitely their MVP before halftime. His fifth double-double in the first half this season, which is uh, pretty impressive on its own. Uh, Herter had 10 and 5 at the, at the break, and Bogdanovich had 12, including four threes. 
in the third quarter, it was Bogdanovich at the outset, who was the story. He hit a couple of threes in a row, including a very, very deep one, then a timeout, and then he had another one. So he was 7 of 10 from three, which tied his career high with nine minutes left in the third. So seven threes in about two, not even two and a half quarters of play. He was out of his mind for different points of this game. The Hawks led by as many as 11 in the third, but then the big the big run by Charlotte, their biggest run of the game, happened here. It was 15 to 3 by the Hornets to take a one-point lead. That was their first lead of the entire game because they trailed at the outset with the Hawks scoring the first six points of the game. But in that run, Charlotte lost PJ Washington, who's their starting center, and he's more of a combo big, but he's definitely their, he's probably their best center right now. And that was a big loss for them. Uh, the Hawks have had some pretty good luck in this run with uh, either guys missing games or guys getting banged up along the way. And obviously they've given a lot of that back with their own injury issues. But that was, I circled that because Washington was pretty good um, at times in this game. And uh, they ended up playing without him for the rest of the way. They had to go to Biombo and Zeller exclusively. And the Hawks were able to kind of beat them at their own game along the way there. But uh, Goodwin was awesome still. Uh, in that period as well. It wasn't just Bogdanovich. He had, Goodwin had 17 points on 7 of 8 shooting at one point. He had 5 straights to retake the lead. The Hornets, though, did win that quarter and actually led by led by 2 at 77-75 after 3 quarters. They shot the ball great in the third. They, had, they actually hit 6 threes in the period. And then the fourth came. So, it's kind of funny. The Hawks only won 2 of the quarters. The middle 2 quarters, the Hawks lost by 15 points. Not what you want. But it doesn't matter when you start well and finish well. Um, so early in the fourth, Bogdanovich had a nice bank shot, then found a Kongwu for a pretty authoritative dunk from the rookie. That was good to see. But the Hornets then scored on four trips in a row, took a five-point lead at 85-80, to 80, and that was a cue to get a, a Capella back in the game. The Hawks did struggle defensively without Capella on the floor, which has happened all season long, but they definitely got more comfortable, the Hornets did, attacking the rim with Capella off the court, which is... It goes without saying, like, Okongwu has some flashes for sure, but he's not Capella defensively right now. I think we all know that, but it was definitely on display there early. The Hawks did score on their first possession after Capella came back in, but the Hornets kept coming. Overall, it was an 11-2 run by Charlotte to go up by 10. So it was 92-82. to That's pretty crazy because, again, the Hawks led by 17 in the first quarter, and now they're down 10 with seven minutes to go in a game that they ended up winning. So from there, it was obviously pretty slanted toward the Hawks. Uh, I believe it was 23, yeah, 23 to 9 the rest of the way. Pretty impressive in the last in the final seven minutes. But Donovich, who did kind of cool off a little bit, did draw a three-shot foul at one point, made two of those three. Um, Lou actually kind of commented on the broadcast after the game. Lou Williams missed a bunny with about six minutes to go that he definitely needed to make. It was a bad layup, but the Hawks got a break there because... It was clearly out of bounds off Charlotte. It, the, the call was made wrong on the floor. McMillan had to challenge it, which is frustrating because it was just, it's such a bad call. It was a very obvious overturn. But he challenges, he wins, and the Hawks get it going there. And Lou, Lou mentioned after the game that he actually got pissed off, was the quote that he said on the broadcast, which is kind of funny, um, and then sort of found it. He, and he referenced this to, I'm not just talking out of school there, he did say this into a microphone, Lou does not love early games, which is actually, I've heard this before about Lou, I think he said it before on the record as well, but this being a one o'clock start, he was not super comfortable, and he did not play well for about three, almost three and a half quarters in this game, but then he finally found it, he scored eight points in a row for the Hawks to cut it down to five, then the Hawks got a stop finally, and a Goodwin foul Capella for the first of three big assists from Goodwin to Capella in the fourth quarter, that got the lead down to three, then, after a, after a timeout, there was the unbelievable dunk by, by Bridges, which is, again, I mean, kind of an all-time great dunk for a game that didn't, like, wasn't a playoff game or anything like that, but that was a crazy dunk. Like, I, I kind of, like, yelped out of my chair when it happened, and, you know, it was just kind of casually observing, and, man, that was wild. Um, 
I don't want to say too much about it, but Bogdanovich broke down on the perimeter, bad defensively. <laughs> There's a lot of bad point of attack defense by the Hawks in this game, but Capella, uh, to his credit, tried to rise up and block it and just didn't have enough, so I don't want to pile on too much there. Uh, it'll be I uh, I admire Capella for going up and trying to make a play, but a wild play by Bridges at the same time. Um, from there, though, the Hawks close strong. So they're down five after that dunk. But Donovich hits his eighth three of the game from there, cutting it down to 99-97. They got a stop from there and then good win to Capella again to tie it with 2.41 to go. So that was a 17-7 run to tie it. Um, and then from there, the Hornets just kind of couldn't score anymore. Um, they did take the lead with Rogier scoring about 2.15 to go. Lou finally missed one. But then there was a bad turnover by the Hornets throwing, throwing the ball out of uh, sort of an unforced error on a pass. Then the Hawks missed, but they got a very, very long, like, sort of lengthy, loose ball battle that they ended up winning. Then Goodwin finds Capella, again, for the third time, to tie the game at 101-101. The Hornets then miss the three. Lou scores going to his right off the glass to give the Hawks a 103-101 lead. They almost got a deflection. They got a deflection. Almost got a steal by Bogdanovich. Then Charlotte actually threw it away a few seconds later when Capella def- deflected it. Carrying him off the Hornets, out of bounds, with 44 seconds to go. There was sort of a long review there, but it was very clearly Hawks ball. That allowed them to make a pretty interesting decision here that I want to talk about for a second. Um, they took Capella out. So the Hawks have the ball, 44 seconds to go, up two. So um, I get I get it on some level that you might want to go offense and maybe not have Capella get fouled, all that stuff. At the same time, you're only up two. Um, so... It's not exactly an automatic decision, and it actually worked out about as poorly as it could have for the Hawks here um, until the actual result. So the peril there with not having Capella on the court is that if they if you don't score and Charlotte elects to not call timeout because they know Capella's off the floor, they can put it down your throat there without Capella on the court, and that's a pretty big advantage for the Hornets if Capella's not out there on defense. So that's what happened. Offensively, Lou Williams... Uh, basically dribbled the air out of the ball, went pretty late. They got a good look, though, from Bogdanovich in the corner. He missed it. That would have been probably the dagger if it went in. It didn't go in, and then the Hornets get the ball, and the nightmare scenario begins in that the Hawks don't have Clint on the court, no timeout, and you're only up by two, which is not, like, insurmountable. But uh, interestingly enough, Terry Rozier, <laughs> uh, who's been good this year, I will say. I've not been the biggest Rozier guy in my past, but uh, he's been pretty good this year. He took what was a pretty ridiculous step back three in the right corner that he ended up missing very badly. And the thing is, the Hawks are in love with that shot. I, on one hand, I guess you can lose if it goes in because um, you're only up by two, but it was so early that it wasn't like it was a buzzer-beating three-point attempt. That would have made more sense, honestly. If the Hornets had shot a three with three seconds to go and just said, look, we want to win this game right now or lose it, I get that a little bit more. But, but Rogier launched a pretty bad shot with like eight seconds left. Uh, from three against a team that did not have Capella on the court. Just not a good decision by Rozier. Uh, it didn't go in. It wasn't even close. And then Bogdanovich gets the rebound. He gets fouled. Six seconds to go. As long as he makes both, it's pretty much over. And he does. And that's the end of the game. So, all that said, obviously a lot of back and forth there. But the Hawks closed very, very well. And credit to them for playing so well down the stretch. In fact, nine assists in the fourth quarter on the one turnover. That's a huge thing. And they've just kind of executed. Lou going crazy very much helped. And, um, yeah, they, got, they made the plays they needed to down the stretch. Before we get to, to some takeaways, and there's definitely plenty of them in this game, as well as some individual breakdowns, a word from our sponsors on the podcast, including the folks at betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football is not happening right now, and I understand that's a lot of people's favorite thing to bet on in the sports world, but there are plenty of other options, including the NBA, of course. You have the NHL. 
auto racing, golf, tennis, MMA, college sports, everything you can imagine, you can find it at betonline.ag. And BetOnline even covers awards, entertainment bets, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline also has real-time updated odds and all kinds of props on almost anything you can imagine. Props are really fun to get into the sports betting world if you've not tried it before. And on top of that, BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and the odds that you need. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website now at betonline.ag or use mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On. That is 50% and a welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, and to wrap up the show today, we will talk about the takeaways from the game as well as some individual breakdowns. Takeaways-wise, one of the crazy things that I noticed here was that the box score on both sides was remarkably similar, like kind of scarily so. For example, both teams had 12 turnovers in this game. Both teams made 12 free throws in this game. The Hornets had 28 assists. The Hawks had 27 assists. The Hawks shot 45.2% from the floor. The Hornets shot 46.2% from the floor, so within one percentage point. The Hawks had seven offensive rebounds. The Hornets had six offensive rebounds. I can go on and on, but basically this, this is a, you know, it's always in a close game. You'll see some similarities for sure, but this was like up and down the box score, pretty much exactly the same. But the one advantage that the Hawks really had notably in the box score was the three point shooting. Atlanta shot 44% from three in this game. And it's only a couple makes difference. Um, For example, the Hawks were 17 of 39 for 44%, whereas the uh, Hornets were 15 of 43. So, Charlotte took took four more and made two fewer, and that's enough to swing a four-point game. It wasn't only that, but the Hawks only had 36 36 points in the paint, which is a pretty low number. They they definitely relied on jump shooting in this game between Bogdanovich's eight threes, of course, um, some threes from Lou Williams and Brandon Goodwin, Solomon Hill, not a whole lot at the rim other than Capella in this game and a couple of Goodwin drives and finishes. There wasn't a whole lot going to the basket in this spot. So they had to shoot well, and they ended up doing that, which was certainly helpful. Um, other than that, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to, like, differentiate. Offensively, overall, the Hawks scored at about their average rate for the season, about 1.13-ish points per possession, which is just fine. That uh, definitely included the the strong fourth-quarter finish, a very slow-paced game to kind of keep the scoring down. That's been a theme of the McMillan era, is just kind of this grinding-out pace. Defensively, same sort of thing. The Hawks allowed uh, actually a little bit better of a number than they normally would um, defensively, and I think Capella especially was responsible for some awesome defensive performances in this game. But overall, about a 1.1 per possession allowed, and that's you know that's not too bad. Uh, Shooting-wise, you know Charlotte did enough. They just did not offensive rebound at all. That was a credit to the Hawks' defensive rebounding in this game. They really secured the defensive glass at a high level and also uh, just didn't get beat at the free-throw line too much. So a strong across-the-board effort on both sides of the ball. Uh, to the individual players, we'll start on the bench. As I said before, only a nine-man rotation, and I expected that in this game. Honestly, that was kind of, I called my shot there. It, not, it was pretty obvious, I thought, but 10 guys available, one guy did not play, is Bruno Fernando, and Skylar Mays basically only had one stint. Uh, only six minutes for Mays, two points, two rebounds, and a steal. He looked rusty to me. He has not played in a while. And he's also put in this spot where he's asked to play the wing after playing some backup point guard early in the season. Uh, it's, it's a tough ask to ask him to jump in here. He, he did not look great in this spot. He didn't kill them, but he wasn't great here. Uh, Nathan Knight was 
not good. Um, I know Nate has had some really fun moments in the recent past for the Hawks, but his defense has been a problem even when he was playing well, honestly. And this game, uh, this is not only on him, I'm not saying that, but he was minus 15 in 10 minutes in the game, in the, game the Hawks won by four. So that tells you a little bit about the way things transpire with him on and off the court. Uh, no points, two turnovers offensively, two rebounds and a steal. He needs to be good on offense to play. And in and, and, and this game, he was 0-4 from the floor with two turnovers. So it was not a good Nathan Knight game. Um, we'll leave it there for now. And then the Kongwu played two stints, three points, four rebounds, had a steal. He was minus 12 as well. It wasn't like he was good. I don't, I don't think he was great, but he wasn't terrible. It was just different, as I, I think I alluded to this a second ago, but um, the Hornets treated him differently than Capella, and they should. Um, I, I do think that Okongwu's defensive future is very, very bright, and he's had a lot of good flashes, but he isn't the kind of just pure rear protector that Capella is right now. And that really kind of cost them in that stretch. But I think he rebounded the ball well, offensively showed, showed some of his skill in, in the pick and roll game. I thought he was fine. Uh, he wasn't like capital G good, but he wasn't bad either in a way that um, Mays was and especially Knight was off the bench to hurt that second unit. Uh, the, other, the other guy who was kind of the sixth starter in this game was Lou Williams. 29 minutes, 13 points, 4 assists. Lou had 10 of his 13 in the fourth. Uh, he was not good in the first three quarters of this game. He admitted it, and he talked about this earlier, but he really wasn't just as a reminder here. But the fourth quarter... Was Lou time ten points, and he does what he, he does what he what he, what he kind of does honestly down the stretch. Uh, Kevin Herter, as we have the starters here, Kevin Herter had a good first half and a poor second half. He did not score in the second half and finished the game with ten points, seven assists, two turnovers, minus six, four fifty from the floor, and one of six from three. Uh, he was zero of five from the floor in the second half after a good start. So a tale of two halves there. Um, I was thinking about this. Somebody asked me this after the game, like who played poorly for the Hawks in this game. I would say Knight. Uh, Mays, the first three quarters of Lou Williams, and the second half of Kevin Herter was pretty much my answer by the, by the, by the end of that. So, obviously nitpicking a little bit there in a win, but I think uh, it was definitely, he was good early and not so good late, but some good defensive moments from him along the way. Um, elsewhere, the other four guys that played alongside Herter played at least 35 minutes each, so the Hawks were not shy about pushing a little bit on the minutes. And that's easier to do because they have the rest of today off of the early game, and then also they don't play until Tuesday night, so a little bit of a longer break than they've had recently. And also, they just kind of had to, to get this win. Once it became close, they had to kind of push and push to get this win, and they did so. Uh, Capella played 35 minutes, 20 points, 15 rebounds, 3 assists, plus 14, 8 of 12 from the floor, and 4 of 6 from the free throw line. Uh, I thought he was tremendous, honestly. Double-double in the first half. It wasn't like he was just dominant offensively, but did enough, was very efficient around the rim, made four of his six free throws. That's pretty good for him. And I know this will be remembered from some circles about the Bridges dunk, but I thought Capella's defensively, uh, his defensive impact was just tremendous in this game. Uh, it has been all year long. Um, you know, the, def- the, the defensive player of the year stuff with Capella is always interesting to me because, like, I'm not sure what in the conversation means for defensive player of the year because he's not going to win it, just practically speaking. You have Rudy Gobert's there. He's not going to win it. But I think Capella... The way, that, the way that I would say it is that he deserves more attention defensively. I think he's done a tremendous job. I've talked about this a lot this entire season, even before this year. It is night and day when he's on the court versus when he's off the court defensively. And that goes beyond his you know, his own stats. Obviously, his rebounding has been tremendous. He's leading in rebounding. But rim protection, just impact, the way that teams treat him defensively, he is so good. And, uh, you know, you could say that he's like a half tier below Gobert and, and Embiid and those guys, but he's he's tremendous. He just really is. If he gets some defensive player of the year votes on the ballot, that would be warranted, I think. So he's been really, really good this year. Another great uh, sort, of, sort of sign here. And uh, he was plus 14. The defensive metrics with him on and off of this game were pretty striking, and he earned all of that. Uh, the final three guys we'll get to here. Solomon Hill. 
Uh, I think an unsung hero in this game, honestly. Eight points, seven rebounds, two assists, two steals, and a block. Three very from the floor, two of five from three. Um, you know, not a huge statistical game, obviously with only eight and seven, but I thought Solomon Hill made a bunch of big plays. Couple, uh, a couple nice threes in the first half. He made uh, one nice drive to the rim. Um, defensively, he was just in the right place at the right time in this game. Uh, he wasn't flawless or anything, but it shows the value of having someone like Solomon Hill on your roster where you can have this vet, have him play 38 minutes, he doesn't kill you, and he was plus 19, and he earned it. I think he was really, really good. It's all little stuff. It's all like stuff that coaches notice and that if you're, you have to kind of pay attention to try to notice what Solomon Hill does defensively, getting guys in the right place and rotating, all that stuff. Um, but I thought he was very, very solid and a very big, important piece of this Hawks team today. And then Brandon Goodwin was tremendous. 17 points, 8 assists, 5 rebounds, plus 20, the highest mark on the team. 37 minutes for BG, 7 of 10 from the floor, including 4 of 4 on 2s, 3 of three of 6 on 3s. Uh, it was awesome, man. It was fun to see him do that. Um, credit to Goodwin for staying ready. That's a big thing for him. He's not been playing a whole lot recently, but the all-Gwinnett backcourt at one point, which was uh, sort of close to my heart with, with Goodwin and Williams, um, I thought BG was great. Honestly, he brought a lot of energy. He played good defense, as he often does. Like He was their best defensive player on the perimeter in this game, uh, both on paper coming in and also in practice on the floor. And uh, just a, a huge game for him. It wouldn't stun me if he didn't play again on Tuesday, and that's kind of that's kind of the role that he's in as the third point guard. But man, he was really good and played a ton of minutes and uh, was a big part of why they won this game. I think McMillan said that they would not have won this game without him. That, I think, is pretty obvious. Uh, without without that kind of game from Goodwin, they don't win this game for sure. So a huge one from Goodwin uh, and stepping in in the lofty shoes of Trey Young. And then finally, Bogdanovich, a season-high 32 points, three assists, three rebounds, two steals, eight of 16 from three, which is... Uh, wild volume in a good way. Um, I'm not saying that in a bad... When I say that, I'm saying it positively. 63-point attempts is very, very good for a shooter like him. If he gets if he gets up that, that kind of volume, is he going to make eight every game? No. But he's going to make six a lot, or seven a lot. And uh, the shooting was great. Um, now, for the season... No, sorry, not for the season. For the month of April, I should say. He is 30 of 58 from three in April. Which, I know Tony Snell has been like that, like that way the entire season, but the contrast there is the volume. But Donovan is taking 58 threes in April, and it's April 11th right now as we're talking. So he is launching, and with good reason, playing off the ball. 52% from three, a career high in this game with eight with eight makes. Um, also a season high in points, as I said before. So an awesome game for Bogey. He got a little bit cooler cooler in the second half, and that kind of um, hurt the offense a little bit. But he actually, he's on the one of six on twos, which is kind of weird. Got the line, though, seven times. No uh, nitpicking required. 41 minutes. Best player on the court offensively in this game on either side was Bogdanovich. Best player on the court defensively in this game was Clint Capella, and that's how you win a game on the road against a solid enough opponent in the Hornets. Um, all right, that, that'll do it for, for the actual game itself. As for the standings, obviously the Hawks and Hornets were tied coming into this game. This is the first time the Hawks have been four games over 500 since 2017. It's been a long time. They're now in sole possession of fourth place, as I said before. Um, the Hornets are a game back, but they do have the tiebreaker. It's something to circle here because they only played three times this year, despite being divisional opponents. Only three matchups, and Charlotte won the first two, so they cannot be passed in the tiebreaker there. Um, the Heat play later tonight, as I'm recording this on Sunday night. They're actually in the late game, so I won't know what's going to happen there. If they win, they'll be within a half game of the Hawks, and we're not going to get too crazy bogged down in the standings just yet, but... In fact, I have a podcast coming with good friend of the program, Ben Ladner. It's going to drop on Monday night into Tuesday. That'll be a lot about the Eastern Conference landscape. I already recorded that, so it's coming. Uh, it'll be a little bit um, you know, wonky with the numbers and all that stuff, but it's a good sort of overview of the Heat and the Celtics and the Hornets and the Bulls and the Raptors and all those teams that are battling for the Eastern Conference spots alongside the Hawks 
And obviously a big win. I mean, I don't, you, you don't want to go over crazy about talking about one game in April, but the Hawks beat a divisional foe, a team that they're competing with. They won on the road without Trey Young. They won on the road without Trey Young, John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, and Danilo Gallinari. Like, this is a very, very, very nice win for the Hawks. And their next game will be in Tampa on Tuesday against the Raptors. The Raptors are a bizarre team, and we'll see what happens there, what kind of performance they can put together. But the Hawks will be... Uh, in good shape if they can get their guys healthy. Obviously, that's the big thing the rest of the way is just the health because as much as today was fun, you cannot expect to keep winning like this with this current roster. Like, the current roster today is not a playoff roster the Hawks had. They won this game, but they're going to need to get Trey back and get Gallinari back and Collins and Hunter to reach their ultimate ceiling, but they keep, they, they keep winning. So, what are you going to do? A fun night, of, actually, afternoon slash evening for Hawks fans, and we'll have, again, like I said before, Ben Ladder's going to be on the podcast tomorrow. That'll be our uh, our way to sort of tide you over until the later game on Tuesday. So subscribe to the podcast. Please follow the show on whichever podcast platform of your choice, Spotify, Apple, um, you know, radio.com, all those places that you can find podcasts, uh, Stitcher, all those places. Uh, you can find us there. If not, ask me and I will point you in the right direction. Rate, review, tell your friends about the show, and we'll see you late on Monday evening.